Well, James asked me to fill in. Uh, I'm Teddy. Uh, I don't know if you folks have... Met, I know I haven't met every one of you. I've met some of you over the last several months, but uh, James is in Daytona today. I think his son has a soccer tournament, and he's asked me to fill in. And so uh, y'all can be praying constantly for me <laughs> to make it through this. But uh, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I just, uh, you know, wanted to, uh, I guess, come and b- bring a few things on, you know, some of the stuff James has taught on before, and some of the stuff that, that blesses us very much, and that is the faithfulness and love of God. You know, so this is, uh, this is what that's about, and really that's what we need to, to fill our lives with every day, right, is concentrating on God's faithfulness and God's love working in us, amen? So uh, I thought I'd just bring a few simple things about that and uh, let the scriptures do the, do the teaching and since <laughs> it's, it's a lot better at it than I am. So uh, do we have any prayer requests or uh, any announcements that we need to make before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Anybody have any prayer requests? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I knew they were going to be out of town, but I didn't know they were going to be out of the country. Wow. Okay. Wow. So that's where Scott and Julie are. Wow. Yeah, I talked to him, I guess it was last week, and he said, hey, we'll be gone for about a month out of town. So I said, oh, okay, you know. I thought that meant, you know, Kissimmee or something. Wow, yeah. Amen. So we'll definitely pray for Scott and Julie. So. Anything else? Any other announcements? Anything? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Amen. Uh, if you've got a father, call him, and uh, hopefully you are you that, or you'll get a call today. It'd be a blessing, huh? Well, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time we can get together and just share your word and share your love and grace and all these truths that are so edifying to us, Lord. Uh, just help me this morning to um, to bring just your truth and grace, and uh, pray that you would just uh, help all these people here in every single issue of their lives. Uh, I pray that you work through them, Lord, that the Word just does its work for their edification and, and encouragement, and you just bless us by it, uh, just by because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. 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 All right, uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bible. And I've entitled this, The Faithfulness and Love of God. And I just want to read several verses here about Paul's Paul's ministry uh, and what really us as ambassadors for Christ, our, our message should be. You know, we, we, we hear different messages within the body of Christ, either whether it's over TV or over the radio or in churches, and we wonder, like, what is our message supposed to be? What is our mission supposed to be? What is, what is, the, uh, what is the good news that we're supposed to give? Well, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 12. It says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in part, not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, 
that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, catch that, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And you've heard James say this many times. We look at people, we look at whether they're saved or lost, and we look at people, and we have to remember, God's not looking at them according to the flesh. There's no, you know, I guess, special class of people that he likes one more or the other, loves somebody more than another. Even, even Christ we don't know any longer according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, and catch this, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us this word of reconciliation. That's our message today. That's the message. That's, that's the good news that we're supposed to bring to people. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says, that's the message that we have. That's the message The word of reconciliation is our message to people. It's our message to the lost, people who don't know Christ, our neighbors, our friends, our family, people who who don't know Christ. And it's our message continually to the saints that God has reconciled you. God is no longer counting your sins against you. It's, it's, it's It's what God has done. And we have to ask ourselves many times, we need to consider, do we believe that God is faithful Do we believe that God is loving? And I think, here's the thing I wanted to point out today, is that I think that Christians and unbelievers, both of us, both sides doubt the love of God and doubt the faithfulness of God many times, don't we? I mean, it's kind of human nature. And I like the line in there where Paul says, you know, if we're we're beside ourselves, if we're crazy, you know, it's for you. (laughs) But if we're in our right mind, it's it's for, for the edification of the body. And uh, the world, you know, the unbelieving world, many times we look at what they say about us who are believers, and, and they think we're crazy. They think we're beside ourselves for believing in all this. And uh, uh, the world, you know, it, it can't believe or doesn't believe in the faithfulness of God and the love of God because they've never experienced it, have they? And the only reason you can experience it and know it, know it experientially is because you've come to know Christ. You've come to know the love of God. You've come to know his faithfulness. You've come to know the truth that sets us free, amen? So the world doesn't know that. They've never experienced. And what, they, what the world has experienced, unfortunately, many times, is misperceptions uh, or, or misconceptions about what God is like, you know, what his message is, uh, how God, you know, quote, feels about him, you know. And, and of course, the, their own mind, you know, I'm sure they have... Uh, misconceptions anyways because they don't know God's truth but you know you, you wonder why the world has mis- misunderstandings or has a misrepresentation about God misconception is it because many times Christ's representatives <laughs> ministers uh, 
when we're supposed to be ambassadors. Many times, um, God is misrepresented even through his own people, through, the, through a wrong message, you know, through, through a message of works for salvation and works for, for living for God's standing uh, rather than standing in God's grace. Didn't Paul say in another place, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith, by grace through faith. How are you supposed to live and walk in him from now on? By grace through faith. It's the same thing. So Paul tells us what the ambassador's message is supposed to be. And he says, he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's our message. It's not supposed to be anything else. Not that we can't teach about on other subjects, but the message of the gospel Paul says, this is the word that we preach, the word of reconciliation. This is our message. And so, how are we to, how are we to present that? And, and you think about the end there where he says, um, God was in Christ, uh, let's see, all things are God, who has reconciled to us, through himself, us to himself through Christ Jesus. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 19 there says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses uh, unto them. He's committed that word to us. And verse 21 says, He made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, James has talked about this before, and I love this. It's like, how many times have you got uh, the misfortune, and maybe you've said this yourself, of testimonies, people getting up and say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, if you've come to Christ, well, you were a sinner who came to Christ by grace through faith, but God sees you now as a saint. Uh, Paul addresses all his epistles and the, 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 the apostles always address to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Colossae, to the saints of the most high God, he says. I mean, we don't many times think of ourselves as ambassadors or saints of the Most High God. It sounds like a, a title of nobility, but you know what? It is. We belong to the God of the universe, the Most High God. We've been reconciled to God. He's, been, he's given us his righteousness. We've been sanctified through the body of Christ by one sacrifice, once and for all. There's nothing left for God to do on our behalf, and there's nothing left for us to do to make him love us anymore. He's done it all. And that's the good news. And people would, you know, the, the, the unbelieving mind, even the legalized mind, the, the, the Galatianized mindset that says, well, you know, I don't even understand how God could make me righteous because I don't feel righteous. And, and we, never hear in the, we never read in the, in the Bible about how we feel is the standard for truth. <laughs> we don't go by experience. We go by the word, don't we? And the, the question would even come to our minds is, wow, how could God make me righteous? You know, I know myself. And even the person sitting next to me on Sunday, man, if they knew me, they wouldn't think of me as righteous, you know. How could, how could God make me righteous? I get, the better question is, how could God make him sin for us? I mean, to him who knew no sin, God says, I'm going to make him sin that's the, that's the real question. We don't need to be so self-focused. We need to be Christ-focused, don't we? And think about, look, what a great sacrifice he made. Look what he did for us. And the Bible says in other places, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that did it. Focusing on him. 
So we're ambassadors for Christ. We're not ambassadors for ourselves. We're ambassadors of his message, not our, not our message, not our example, not our works. You know, it's what he did. Paul says, look, uh, if, we're, if we're crazy, okay, think of it that way. But if we're in our right mind, okay, think of it that way. But listen to our message. Listen to what we have to say. God has done something in Christ for you completely and took away all our sins. Not just part of them, not just the sins you committed, you know, up until you got saved. <laughs> you know, some people come to Christ and they think, well, I understand that Christ forgave all the sins I did in my past. You know, I don't, I just, I don't know if I believe that he forgave all my future sins. Well, how many of your sins were in the future 2,000 years ago? All of them. So therefore, he had to die for all of them. All your sins were future 2,000 years ago. I'm pretty old, but not that old, okay? <laughs> so he died for all our sins. It's a great transaction. It says, he made him sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes all your sins, and he gives you all his righteousness. That's a great deal, isn't it? That's the greatest deal you could, you could ever get. And this is another thing, um, and I love, I love James has talked about this before, and Clark as well, is God just doesn't see us as righteous once we come to Christ. You know, some people you talk to and they think, well, you know, I think God looks at me through the, through the Jesus lens, and he just, he sees me as righteous and through Christ, you know, but he's really sick at his stomach at me. No, he has made you righteous. He doesn't just put on Jesus glasses and say, well, you're okay. You know, that's not how he does it. He sees you as righteous and completely cleansed. He's done it all for you. Um, so he truly made you righteous. And you're completely cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 9. There's so much in Hebrews. Wow about the sacrifice of Christ. The whole book of Hebrews, if you start from the beginning, it's all about Christ is greater. Christ is greater than angels. Christ is greater than the prophets. Christ is greater than the priest. Christ has a greater priesthood. It's all about the preeminence of Christ. You go from Hebrews from beginning to end, and of course the faith chapter, uh, verse 11, where he's talking about place your faith in him. He's done it all. He's greater, he's greater, he's greater, he's greater. He's certainly greater than you and me. Put your faith in him. He's greater than the patriarchs. He's greater than all. Uh, Hebrews 9, look at verse, uh, let's start in verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission or is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest at that time, still had the temple, right? As the high priest still enters the temple every year, uh, but in heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often uh, with the blood of another. It says, he then would have to suffer oftentimes since the foundation of the world, but now, once, at the end of the ages, he has what? 
appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is what he did. He says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of it. And it's going to be final. It's going to be once for all. You know, we have some religious practices where people think they have to sacrifice Christ every Sunday, don't they? Some of you might have come from a background like that. The Bible teaches Christ did it once, and it was once and for all. It's complete. It's done. And it says in another place, it said after he made that sacrifice, he went to heaven, and it says he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, why would he sit down? Have you ever thought about it? It's done. He's finished. It's, the work is finished. That's why it's set down. There's no need to come back. There's no, or no need to come back and have another sacrifice. There's no need for anybody else to make another sacrifice. That's why I liked what James said in that series about uh, Daniel's 70th week. You think about this. If a temple does get rebuilt tomorrow, <laughs> okay, would those sacrifices do anything in the mind of God? No, I, I, you know, God's perfect, so I can't say what his mind would be, but I would just be like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, <laughs> you know, why can't you believe that I did it all? You know, it's done, it's complete. Um, look over at chapter 10 there, starting in verse 8. Chapter 10, verse 8 of Hebrews, previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offering for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. Even in the Old Testament, this is quoting from the psalmist. He says, really, the offerings of blood and of bulls and goats, you really didn't have pleasure in them. They were just kind of like, you know, the credit card <laughs> until true payment had to be made. You know when you go, and I went and did this yesterday, you know when you go and buy something on a credit card, you ain't just getting it. Payday's got to come, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, or you're in trouble. You know, payment had to be truly made. That, that was just sins covered on a credit card basis. You know, but he says this. Then he said, "This is like foretelling Christ speaking." Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Now, that if you didn't read any other verse in the Bible except that one, thinking you were under law, that should settle it, right? He takes away the old covenant that he may establish the new. He took it away. Just as much as he took away our sins with the sacrifice, he took away the old and established the new. Amen? He takes away a first that he, the first that he may establish the second, that by that will or that covenant or that testament, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What? Once for all. Done. Done deal. Re read on down through verse 14. It says, And every priest, at this time that this was written, it says, Every priest still stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. And what's that word say? Can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfect, perfected forever them that are sanctified. Old Testament sacrifices and all that can never take away sins. His one sacrifice forever. When are we going to get it as the body of Christ? Can never forever. Now, we may not have a sacrificial system anymore in our churches, you know, throughout America and throughout the world. 
But we do have our little systems that we think are getting our sins taken away, don't we? We think if we, if we cry enough, and I believe, you know, the Bible says godly sorrow works a change of mind. That's all good. But that doesn't got, get God to forgive you anymore, does it? Because he's already done it. You know, we think, we think if we confess enough or agree with God enough that he'll forgive it. It's already done. Now we just need to get in line with what God says. Get in line with God's thinking. Um, I don't know if many of you here are old enough to remember uh, canning preserves. Any of you all remember that? Preser- yeah, yeah. I spe- I've, sp- I've given this illustration to some people and they're kind of like, canning. Can-, can of green beans? What do you mean? I'm from Texas, so you know, back then they, they still, I hope they still do it, but canning preserves. And the, remember the mason jars or cur or mason? Yeah, I remember that. It's, my mind's not completely gone. But it's like, I remember my mom doing that one time in the kitchen, you know, and it's like those jars, what's the first thing they have to do to the jars? Sterilize them. Sterilize them. That's exactly right. And they have to boil them in almost like boiling water, I think tablespoons of bleach or something. Just totally sterilize the jars. And, um, this is a real good issue of salvation. If you've ever done this or you're ever canning around a lost person, it's, it's going to work great. <laughs> because first thing you do is you sterilize the jars. It gets it completely cleansed. Then they fill them, right, with the fruit. And then what do you put on? That sealing lid. So it's completely cleansed, completely filled, and then sealed. And like us, sealed under the day of redemption. And then you label it, you know cherry, uh, you know, strawberry, whatever, you know. He labels us daughter of God, son of God, child of God, you know. You are completely sealed under the day of redemption. That's what God's done for us. And there's nobody, there's no devil, there's no demon, there's no force, there's no sin that's ever going to take that seal away, take that label away, take that filling away. You are his. You are completely his in Christ. That's, that's something good to remember. Something, what, what you've been made inside is who you truly are. You've got to remember that. Paul said in Romans 7, you know, he talked about his struggle with sin. And we all have those things. And he said, when I, when I do these things, I re- what I have to realize is that it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. See, that's not, when you sin, folks, get this, it is not the real you. That's not the real you. And you know by afterwards how you feel that it's not really who you truly are, is it? You know, no matter how many times you slip, I don't care if it's 70 times 7 a day, <laughs> you know that's not the real you. Because you know, you, I've heard Andrew Farley uh, say before, I challenge you to try to be happy in sin. <laughs> now he's not encouraging it, but it's like he's challenging the mindset that says, oh, you people who believe in grace and you people who believe you're once saved, always saved, and... Uh, it's just called justification by faith in the Bible, buddy. Um, you, peop- <laughs> you people who believe in eternal security, that's better than eternal insecurity, right? Yeah. Once saved, always saved is better than if saved, barely saved, right? <laughs> so, so it's like you people think you can go out and just live any way you want and do anything you want and you'll still be in good standing with God. Well, you can do that. Paul says, you know, in Romans 6, all this stuff's true. And he says, and since it is true, the, the rhetorical statement is going to be, shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? He says, no, God forbid. You've been saved from that. Why should you live therein any longer? So you see the logic of the gospel? You see the logic of the reconciling work, the cleansing, 
the filling, the sealing, the set-apartness that God's already done for us. It's, it's just logical. It's just only God could think this up. It makes more sense. And it wouldn't make any sense to go out and some of you, like I did, came to Christ a little later in life. You know, It, w- it doesn't make any sense to go and live in a lifestyle that made you miserable, right? <laughs> and that made you sick of your sin in the first place. You know, and brought discouragement, heartache, and sometimes even physical ailments to your body, you know, in the kind of lifestyle we lived as a lost person. So what's been put inside you is the real you, the Spirit of God. Who you are truly inside, that's the real you. The, the, the person you are in Christ. It's truly sweet, it's truly remarkable, and it's truly of God. That's the new you. And now you know what? You're free. You're free to be the real you. People think many times, you know, that the hypocritical side of so-called these Christians is the ones going to church, you know, on Sundays. You know, when I saw them living like that during the week. Actually, it's really the opposite. The hypocrite, the real you is the one fellowshipping, reading, being enjoying one another's company, loving the word, loving Christ. That's the real you. The really the hypocritical side is the one that would slip up, gossip, do something, you know, that's not in keeping with who you are. So anytime the enemy tries to send a message to your mind, you're a hypocrite. And it, doesn't he always put it in your voice, in your mind? Isn't it kind of like, see what you just did. That's the real you. Wrong. That's not the real you. That's condemning words from the enemy. That's condemning thoughts that either your own flesh, your own weakness, or the enemy or whatever. The real you is the one that loves righteousness, that loves Christ, that loves truth, that loves the fellowship of the believers, that loves his word. That's the real you. And we just need to walk in that reality. Now, uh, that's, that's what his new nature has done for us. You know, and um, that's the only nature you have now, really. If you look uh, up nature in Webster's Dictionary, uh, one of the definitions is what something is at the core of its being. You know, we don't have a a new nature and an old nature. We're not set up for failure. (laughs) You know, that's what many times is taught in Christian circles that, well, you got your new nature, and that's Christ, and you got your old nature that's just as strong. Just as, just as big, just as powerful. And you think, I'm set up for failure. You know, because I know my flesh, if that's the case. He's given you one nature. He's given you his nature. And that's who you truly are. And uh, it, it's the nature you truly have. Now, experience and uh, weakness notwithstanding, it's still true, isn't it? We need to keep coming back to the truth of the word and saying... This is who I truly am in Christ. This is who he's truly made me. He's truly made me righteous. And, and walk in that. The old, mate, the old nature and the old man died in Christ. You know, you've been raised to walk in newness of life. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 3. There's a lot in this passage. This whole passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the new covenant written on our hearts. Isn't that great? The old covenant was written on what? Table, st- tables of stone. Yeah, you know. And uh, the new covenant, God's laws now of love God 
and love your neighbor as yourself is written where? Right in here, on tables of flesh, you know, our hearts. Second uh, Corinthians 3, oh boy. Uh, let's look at verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was what? Passing away? Some some of yours might say fading away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds it much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels it. For if what is passing away was glorious, that which remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, and unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ, only in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's where, that's where freedom is. And have you ever tried to talk to some people, maybe you've been wanting to share Christ even in, in little ways or just very plain ways, and you just see that they just, they don't get it? It's like a veil, isn't it? It's like a veil is over their eyes. But if they would just exercise a little bit of faith that God is working, what happens? It says the veil is taken away. So don't give up on anybody to see things, you know, because the, the, they can turn to Christ. I believe anybody can receive this gift of salvation and the veil is taken away. And where the, and the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You want to know why people don't have freedom? You want to know why they keep falling in the same sins, the same problems, the same things over and over again? It's bondage. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And a lot of it, it's Christians are in bondage too. But you know what? It's because they don't know the truth. It didn't just say if you memorize scripture. It didn't just say if you go to church, get involved in ministry, get involved in so activities that you are going to (laughs) faint. You know, it didn't say if you're busy for God, you know. It says if you know the truth. He says, if you continue my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's knowing the doctrine of the finished work of Christ, everything that he's done for us that makes all the difference, knowing that, experiencing that. So a comprehension of the vast love of God, I believe, is the keys to to freedom. I've seen over and over in my life. And don't ever think that you got it all. You know, well, I understand the grace message. Yeah, it's all nice. You know, what time's the ball game on? You know, we don't want to count it as just a common thing. You know, we want to count it as, man, I'm friends with God, the God of the universe. You know, this is a great thing. May it never get old to us. Uh, And that gives us that, that liberation, that freedom 
to know God's character, his love, his faithfulness towards us. And it gives us freedom to be ourselves with God, knowing that he isn't counting your sins against you anymore. He knew you were going to blow it before you blew it, right? And it's good to know that he's right there with you, even in the midst of that. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. And this was a verse that really uh, opened my eyes years ago to the faithfulness and love of God. People talk about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. You know, there obviously, there is spiritual warfare. We know in, uh, you know, we know that God tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, which is excess or which is dissipation, some versions say, but be filled with the Spirit. And people want to cite the verses that come later in, in Ephesians rather than citing the ones that come earlier that tell you what leads up to that point, you know. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, had, Paul spends the first th- three chapters of Ephesians telling us our standing in Christ, our position in Christ, all that Christ has done for us, our adoption, uh, that we're seated in heavenly places, our destination, uh, our righteousness. He tells us the first, that in the first three chapters. The last three chapters are more of the uh, behavior verses, okay? The admonitions, how to walk, uh, how to live, how to conduct ourselves with, with uh, spouses, with children, with bosses, <laughs> you know, and all these type of things in the world, you know. But the first three chapters, he, he, he tells us in Ephesians 3, verse 14, this is Paul's prayer, and this is, I think, one of the longest prayers in the Bible. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians three fourteen, he says, for these reasons that he just spent three and a half chapters telling you, he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that's a lot of glory, isn't it? To be strengthened with might through what? His spirit. In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. Now think about that. Stop right there for a second. He says he wants you to be rooted and grounded in love. You know, it's so simple that we miss it sometimes, don't we? It's really, it, we miss that. We need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God and strengthened by his might through the spirit of the inner man and being rooted and grounded in love. That in order that, he says you have to be rooted and grounded in love that you may be able even to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height to, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, how many people want to be filled with all the fullness of God? That's, that's being spirit-filled. But he says, to get that, he says you need to be rooted and grounded in love and first comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of God. And then after you begin to comprehend it, you know, I'm the type of people that, you know, people explain stuff to me and it's like, I'm starting to grasp that, you know. <laughs> especially if it has to do with something mechanical or something I'm trying to do at work. We begin to comprehend it. And then he says, after that, you, will know, you begin to know. And I think, I don't know Greek, but I've been told that the, 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 the Greek word know there is to know experientially. To know experientially the love of God. You've seen it work. You've seen it work in your mind, in your life, in your spirit. You've comprehended it. You begin to know it. You begin to experience it. 
the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of God, which passes knowledge. This is a spiritual thing. This isn't just, uh, you know, you figure out A, B, C, D, oh, you got it. This is like, this is something that passes knowledge. It surpasses all that. And he says, in order that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, knowing the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of God is the key to the spirit-filled life, according to the word. I mean, that's just, that's just amazing to me. And he wants the whole, the whole world, the whole church to know that. Uh, and the fact that he did all this for us by one sacrifice, he took away the old, established the new. Let's look back at Hebrews. Chapter 10. Verses 18 and 19. Uh, Well, let's look at verse 17. He adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Think about that. Many people don't want to even talk to God, the lost mind especially, but many Christians have such a, a beaten down, condemned, guilt feeling about coming to God. And I'm, now I'm talking Christians. It's like, it's completely out of the order of what God tells us. I mean, God is telling us, look, because of Christ's sacrifice, we can come to God with confidence, with boldness, and in full assurance. These are the words God uses to describe how we can come to God as his child, as to what he's done for us. It's amazing, isn't it? What he's done. The question is, are we believing it? (laughs) You know, the lost person may, may think God is angry with them, you know, but the Bible says that God reconciled the whole world to himself, didn't he? He's no longer imputing, no longer counting their trespasses against them. That's where we are. And it's been that way since, since Christ died. The lost person has an excuse for having, I guess, a guilt complex or feeling that God is angry with them. I guess a, a, the unredeemed mind has a, has a reason for feeling that way. And you know what that is? Ignorance. They don't know the truth. They don't know. They, they don't know it. But Christians oftentimes, I'm going to say this, and this may sound kind of crazy, but I think Christians have a worse view of God many times than lost people. <laughs> because the more they disbelieve the message of God's, Christ's reconciling work in Christ, that's, it's to me like, how could you ignore this? How could you be ignorant? How could you walk in ignorance of this? Is what God's done. I heard a sermon one time of a president of a certain denomination, and this denomination has a convention. Okay? All right. And uh, he was the president of that denomination's whole convention, I guess, which is over America. And the sermon was entitled something about when we sin or, or the believers sin or something like that. And numerous times during the sermon, he said, and when you sin, God is angry with you. God is against you. God is angry with you. He is upset with you until you repent and confess and turn from that. 
And I'm thinking like, how could, a, how could a man who has this word in front of him, who's gone to seminary, who has had all kinds of training, who's supposed to know this word backwards and forwards, is supposed to understand, you know, grace, how could he, how could he teach this? And the flock just like soaking it up like a sponge soaking up poison. And that's what it is to me. That's a, it's a mess. And uh, you think about that. If, here's the thing. We tend to just be so self-focused that, you know, uh, we only think that God, you know, is thinking one thing at a time, but God is omniscient, right? <laughs> he knows what's going on everywhere. And you think about, it, if God was angry at sin of one believer, another believer, until somebody, you know, gets right, da, 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 he is ticked off 24-7 all the time because people are what? Sinning all over the world. All the time, people are sinning all over the world. Some are ignorance of ignorance. Some are sins on, on purpose. Some are sins of omission, and some are sins of commission. And he'd be ticked twenty four seven. That is insane, you know. But the fact is, Christ took away the sins of the world, and God is no longer imputing, imparting those sins to anyone in the world right now. And uh, you know, it's. It's a bad view. I mean, it's a bad view of, of people to have uh, of a bad view of God. You know, it's like this. Um, here's the view a lot of people have of God, especially some Christians. It's like the Christian sins. They go to Jesus on their behalf of the Father. And Jesus is having to just say, and, and the Father's mad at the believer, boy. I mean, he's just, and Jesus is like, wait a minute, Dad. Hold on. Cal- calm down. Calm down. Listen, I know, I know they did wrong. Listen, listen. Wait, wait. Don't hit them. Don't break their leg. Don't make them sick. Don't make their kids sick. Don't get them in a car wreck. Isn't that, re- if that may be an extreme example, but isn't that the way some Christians feel? Yeah. God just like, oh, calm down, Father. It, it's okay. Listen, remember what I did? Remember the nails? <sighs> okay, listen, y'all stay away from him until, he's, until he calms down. He's got his recliner turned around, you know. He doesn't want to talk to you all right now. Isn't that the way a lot of Christians feel? Some of us have felt that way, when, you know, before we understand the truth. And that, that to me is very sad, very sad. We've got to finish up here in a minute. But let me just say this. God wants us to just experience his love and grace, you know, knowing that we have uh, confidence before him because of what Christ did for us. Amen. And uh, John talks about that in 1 John, talking about having confidence even in the day of judgment. We can't even imagine how many times we're going to sin until <laughs> we die. But John says, listen, you believers right now, you can have confidence now for the day of judgment that's coming. And stand in Christ, totally righteous, totally complete in him, lacking nothing. We've been, folks, we've been given everything. The Bible says we've been made complete in him. We've been made partakers of the divine nature. Then we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Amen. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, your truth. And Lord Jesus, thank you so much for everything you did for us. And, and, and just all your greatness, all your love your faithfulness and we can truly say that you are faithful and you are loving because you are your faithfulness your truth personified and your love personified because of who you are 
And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.